God is a God of rhythms. In fact, everything within creation, if you think about it, has a rhythm to it. We notice a rhythm in the time that there's a time to plant and there's a time to harvest. Uh, There's a rhythm within the seasons. If you think about that, of course, there's fall, then winter, then spring and summer. And every single year in perfect rhythmic motion without us intervening, those seasons come one after another every single year. Uh, We also notice that there is, of course, a rhythm uh, between the moon and the ocean tide. And when the moon is at a certain distance, it pulls that ocean tide either in or out. Uh, We, of course, notice that there is a rhythm in the way that we always have days and we always have nights. And so, of course, there's this rhythm that we experience and see within nature, but there's also a rhythm when it comes to our bodies and the way they work. See, because if our spinal cord has something just a little bit off, it impacts the functioning use of so many organs that are in our body. We know that if the rhythm of our heart gets out of beat, our health is compromised. So there's, of course, that rhythm to nature, and there's, of course, that rhythm that we experience with our own bodies. But there's also a spiritual rhythm that we're going to talk about tonight. And as we lay this foundation to talk about the spiritual rhythm that the Holy Spirit can provide us in our life, I think one of the things that we'll find is this, that if our heart is out of rhythm with God's heart, our soul is going to suffer. When you go on a vacation, a vacation, of course, is meant to be relaxing, unless you go with little children. And if you've, if you've ever done that, you know what I'm talking about. We decided, I don't know why, but at about two and a half months old, we decided to take crews down to the beach. And so, of course, we were, were living here at the time, and so what we did is we, we loaded everything up into the car, and in the back of the car, there was a ton of stuff that we didn't need, we weren't going to use, we didn't use, but we had it just in case in the very back of the seat and in the trunk. And so we finally get everything loaded in the car, and even once everything's loaded in the car, it still took us about two hours just to get out the door. And so we finally get out the door, we get about 15, 20 minutes down the road, and then it hits us, we forgot the diapers and the wipes. So we turn around and we go back home. We get home, we get the diapers and the wipes, we get in the car, we get on the interstate, we go further down the road, then all of a sudden Cruz from the back seat starts crying. Babies get hungry, so we exited, and we fed him, or she fed him. And, and after she fed him, we you know, got back in the car seat and went further down the road. And you know what happens after a baby eats? They've got to go to the bathroom. So we exited again because we had to change the diaper. We changed the diaper, got going down the road, and then we had to change uh, uh, another diaper. And then we get further down the road, and then we need to get gas in the car, and then we need to eat, so we exit. And the moment that the car sits still, he wakes up. And so then we feed him again. And then, of course, we go further down the road, and guess what happens again? Got to change a diaper. And so what should have been about a a two-and-a-half-hour trip turned into be about a six-hour trip down to the beach. And so then we get to the hotel room, and I check in at the front desk, and of all the rooms that they could give me, they decided to give me a room on the third story. And so Lorianne's holding him, and I'm climbing up three flights of stairs, carrying most of our luggage that we're not even going to use. And so I have to tell you, as I'm climbing up those steps, and and as I even get into our room, I have a little bit of stress and a little bit of anxiety in my heart. 
And so I, I decided to walk down to the beach to kind of calm my nerves and to be at ease finally. And, and I feel like for the most part, I'm a pretty self-aware person. But I really had no clue until that moment how much stress, noise, and anxiety that I had in my life until I stepped at the very edge of that beach. And, and I remember my toes being in the sand and the waves crashing on my feet one after another in perfect rhythmic motion. I looked out into the sky and saw the depth of the sky and the width and the magnitude of the ocean. And as I was standing there, finally being still, being reminded in a very vivid and real way how big God is and how small I am, it's almost in that moment that God got me back on rhythm with him. Only God can free us from the things that hinder us from being in rhythm with him. And, and if we can't get in rhythm and stay in rhythm with God's heart, all you and I are going to sound like is distorted noise. Now, I understand not everybody in here is a music major. Not everyone is familiar with what it takes to lead worship or a song. But if you are any bit familiar with how leading worship or being involved in a song works, it's not so much about how you start the song, but how you're able to actually keep the beat. Because there's a lot of people that I would call song starters. There's a difference between that and a song leader. You know, um, it, it takes somebody special to really be able to keep a beat throughout an entire song. And so when I was at Prattville Christian Academy, we had a chorus. And there was only about 13 people in that chorus because that was the whole school. And so I, we, I remember our chorus teacher, she gets up in front and uh, she's like, all right, we're going to work on a few songs to do this production for your parents. And so she gets up there, and she gets the song going, and we started great. We were on key, and we were on beat. But about midway through the song, it got terrible. We could not keep the beat. And if you've ever been in one of those times where you start a song really upbeat, and by the end it's like, that was basically what was happening here. It, it was terrible. And she's like, whoa, stop, stop, no. Guys, you have to keep the rhythm. I want you to look at me. We're going to keep the beat. Okay, we're going to try it again. And so no matter how hard we tried, we could not keep the rhythm. We could not stay in beat. So what she did is she said, all right, I'm going to do something I think is going to help you guys. I'm going to bring this little device in, and it's called a metronome. How many of you know what this is? All right. Basically how a metronome works is it's got this arm, and every time it moves across that white bar there, it makes a And, and what you're doing, if you're in, in a chorus or maybe you're playing an instrument, you listen to that metronome, and it keeps you in rhythm. And so she started the song, pressed the metronome, and guys, we finally sounded great. I mean, through the whole song, we actually kept the beat, and you could listen to us. But then she said, listen, I want you to know that when you do the production in front of your parents, and the whole crowd is there, you will not have the metronome. It's just going to be you trying to keep you on beat. And so we got in, in our chorus stand, we're standing there singing in front of everybody, and, and as the song goes, we start on beat and on rhythm. But guess what? By the very end of the song, because we did not have that metronome, guess what we sounded like? Distorted sound. 
we needed something other than us to keep us on beat. I'm in no way, shape, or form trying to demean the power and the work of the Holy Spirit by relating it to some mechanical device. But I do liken that metronome to what the Holy Spirit can do for us and do in the life of each and every believer. It's because God the Father and Jesus the Son got together and they knew that we needed something other than us to fix us. That we needed something other than us to get us and to keep us on beat. So God gave us this Holy Spirit because he knew that we needed something other than us. Because no matter how hard you try in a million years, when you try to operate within your own power, you're going to move at your pace. And I want you to understand your pace is not what God has called you to be. He wants you to move and operate under his pace and at his rhythm. And, And we can only do this when we connect and work in duo with the Holy Spirit, and then we will finally move at the pace that God has called us to move. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is mentioned over 800 times in the Bible? In the Old Testament, of course, we have the the Hebrew word for spirit, which is ruach, which is a violent exultation or a blast of wind. Then the New Testament, we have the Greek word, which is pneuma, which is a blast of breath. When I look at those definitions, do you see what's in common there? It doesn't say a gentle breeze, does it? It doesn't say a a subtle breath or a mild wind. It says a violent exultation, a blast of breath. In fact, if you were to go through the book of Acts, go through the epistles, one of the things that you'll find is one of the most common uh, adjectives to describe the Holy Spirit. It's this word, power. If you notice between these definitions what it has in common, there is power when it comes to what the Holy Spirit can do for you. But I don't know about you guys, for a large part of my life, I just wasn't quite aware of what the Holy Spirit would do or could do or was made available for me to work in my life. And so I begin to think, why is it that we don't, you know, we talk about God the Father and we'll talk about Jesus the Son, but why is it at times we don't want to talk about the Spirit? Because if I'm not mistaken, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's the Spirit. And what has happened is that Holy Spirit has, as one person put it, become at times the very forgotten God. Well, maybe I think for some of us, we look at the Holy Spirit, and maybe like I did when I was growing up, I actually thought it was a negative thing because we kind of maybe tried to avoid it. I thought the Holy Spirit was a negative thing because I always envisioned you had to have a bun in your hair and a tambourine and scream out a bunch of things and speak in tongues. That's kind of the vision I had in my mind. And so it was somewhat of a negative one when it came to the Holy Spirit. Or maybe the reason why we don't want to talk about it is maybe some people overemphasize the Holy Spirit. And to some degree, I do think that's true. There are those that overemphasize it. It's like you had a Bible that's sitting here on the pew. The Bible falls off. You're like, man, the Holy Spirit's telling me something there. No, the Holy Spirit's not. Your child kicked the Bible off the seat. That's the reason why it was there. So, yeah, there are instances I think we overemphasize the Spirit. But I would say... More often than not, let's be real, don't we underemphasize the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives? And so maybe the reason why is because we don't really want to try to go after something and discuss something that we don't have a whole lot of knowledge or, or understanding of, or maybe it's hard for us to put our minds around something 
so vast and maybe so deep. But that hasn't stopped us from talking about God, has it? See, because we can't even grasp the fact that God has always been and has always been, but all, will always be. We can't even grasp the fact that not only is he all eternal, but he's all forgiving, and that his grace would be given to me. I mean, that's hard for us to fathom that there is a God like that, but that has not stopped us once from talking about God the Father. I am so glad that we serve a God and he has gifted us with a spirit that I can't fully, completely, to the nth degree, understand, because I don't want to serve a God that I can put in a box. I'm so glad that I serve a God that he is outside of my four-dimensional time and space. I don't want a God that's a supersized version of me. Because if you expect, you know, things out of a small God, you get small results. I want a God that is even far beyond my comprehension. And see, that's what the beauty of the Holy Spirit is. We don't need to shy away from it because we don't understand every single detail but we need to let the fact that it is so marvelous and so beautiful and so all-consuming actually drive us even more to want to learn more and to desire more of the Spirit. And, and I even think about the way Jesus himself talks about the Spirit. In John chapter 14, he says this, and, and this whole beginning is quite amazing to me, that Jesus is in essence saying, listen, I have this amazing connection with my Father that I can actually ask him for things. He says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, or some texts say comforter, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. I felt like that was me for a while. I didn't really see him or know much about him. He says, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be what? Say that again, what? In you. There's several things that I notice in this passage. Number one is you notice how Jesus describes the spirit. It's a him or a he. It's not an it. Now, I, I want to admit I might accidentally call the Holy Spirit an it. I think I only did it about five times in last lesson. But um, I, I think out of habit sometimes we say that. But the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a he. That's why you've heard the phrase the personhood of the Holy Spirit. We know in the, in the epistles it talks about how we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has emotions and the Holy Spirit knows you. But as one author said, the thing about the Holy Spirit is just like God the Father. Is the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And so he's not going to force himself on you just like God the Father wants to be chosen. Just like Jesus the Son wants to be chosen. The Holy Spirit every single day wants to be chosen too. You can either grieve him or you can build him up. And so he says, listen, that he's a him, he's somebody that's an actual person that knows you and you can know him. But if you notice the second thing at the very end, it says that he's what? In you. If that sounds familiar, it should be because in Romans chapter 8 verse 9, it says that the spirit of God dwells where? In the life of the believer. Here's why I love that. In John chapter 16, Jesus knew that his day to leave this earth was about to end. And, and Mary just can't handle the fact that Jesus is about to leave. And so she throws her arms around him as if it were, and he, she's like, listen, you can't leave. Jesus, I've lost you once. I'm not going to lose you again. And it's almost as if he pushes her back. He's like, no, you, you don't understand. I've got to go. No, you are not leaving. No, let me go. It's best that I leave. 
I don't know about you guys, but maybe several years back or another part of my life, if you asked me if I wanted Jesus or the Spirit, I might have chosen Jesus. But you know what Jesus would have chosen for you? The Spirit. See, because he says to Mary, listen, if you have me in physical form, you are going to lose me. But if you have me here, wherever you go, wherever you walk, you have everything you need for life and for godliness. But if you also notice in the passage, it says that the Holy Spirit was described by Jesus as a helper or a comforter. That comes from the Greek word paraclete. It's a combination of two words. The word cleat means called, and the word para means to come alongside. What Jesus is telling his followers is the Spirit has been called to come alongside and help you. To come alongside and help you. We are out of excuses. We have gone into the watery grave of baptism. Our sins have been forgiven, but it did not stop there. It says in Acts 2.38 that we were given the what of the Holy Spirit? Gift. Or gift, excuse me. One thing I know about God the Father is that he, when he gives a gift, it's extravagant. But when he gives a gift, is a gift of hope, it's a gift of power, it's a gift of promise. That he has given us something that is called to come alongside us and to give us help. Here's what that means. That maybe you're like me at the edge of that beach, and you have found yourself at different moments in your life living with a lot of noise. You're out of rhythm. And the world has taken its toll on you. The Spirit is given to you to help give you the fruits of the Spirit. We talk about the fruits of the Spirit a lot, but I don't think we understand sometimes and grasp the simplicity of what he's saying. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit inside of you. When you go out and people don't treat you right, you of all people can be kind. That maybe this person doesn't deserve your love or your gentleness. But the Spirit is still inside of you, so you can do what other people ordinarily maybe could not do. That He gives us the Spirit so we can be loving, joyful, peace-filled, patient, kind, good, gentle, and we can be self-controlled. He has given us the Spirit so we, in everyday walks of life, can practice the very fruits of the Spirit. So why maybe is it that, you know, we, we hear this power, we hear the comfort, we hear the way Jesus talks about the Spirit, but yet at times we resist being in rhythm with Him. I think there's two reasons, maybe why we're spiritless, why we're rhythmless. Number one, I think sometimes people aren't in rhythm with God because they're just unaware of what the Holy Spirit can do for them. In Acts chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus. And as he's talking to the people there in Ephesus, he asks them this question. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And here was their answer. They said, we we know about John, we know about Jesus, but who's this Holy Spirit you speak of? And, And you know what he was thinking. He's like, man, guys, there is this amazing world that is available to you that you're not even aware of. I think about it like when I was 13, I went with Randy and uh, my father and a few other people here locally uh, to Bangkok, Thailand on a mission trip. 
And if you've ever gone on that trip, that is a lot of plane riding, a ton. You're literally going on the opposite side of the world. And, and there is one flight that is just incredibly, incredibly obnoxiously long. And so you get on that plane and you're riding it forever. Well, this was my very first time to actually fly on a plane, and that's quite the introduction, going on a 20-something hour trip on the other side of the world. Well, while we were waiting to, to board the plane, they announced over the loudspeaker, if everyone that's on flight so-and-so, if you'll please look at your tickets. And what we want you to do is this. We want you to see if, if the numbers we call out match the numbers you have, and we want you to come to the front desk. And so I was looking at my ticket, and then they announced my numbers. And so I walked up to the desk. And they're like, hey, we want to let you know that what happened is we overbooked the plane. Imagine that. And then they said, what we're going to do is this. We're going to move you guys up to first class. Y'all, this was the first and last time I've ever been in first class. <laughs> and it was awesome. See, if you've ever been in first class, one of the things that they do is this. They actually call you up first. You kind of feel special if you've never felt special before. You get to walk in front of everybody else and you stand in the very beginning of the line. And then when you get in there, they talk to you differently than they talk to everybody else in the regular people seating. Hello, sir. You know, it's like you're at Chick-fil-A or something. Can I refresh your beverage? They don't give you the plastic cups. They give you the glass cups. And then I started noticing all these people that were sitting beside me they weren't sitting on like this chair. It actually made into like a couch. And so I leaned that seat back, and I laid all the way back, and they gave me not just a piece of paper of two choices. I had a menu to decide what I wanted to eat. And then they even brought these little booty things for my feet that I could put on my feet in case I got cold. They were completely warm, but I wanted to put them on anyway. And so I, I sat there and was laying back, and I just remember all the people that were on that plane walking past me, and I was just, you know, you know, seeing them walk by. And it was an incredible experience to be on that part of the plane for such a long trip. Well, on the way home, my number never got called. <laughs> and, and so I sat in the regular people seating, and I sat squashed between two people I did not know. And let me tell you, I would have been perfectly okay with sitting in the regular seating if I had not experienced first class. I think about that with the Holy Spirit and what Paul here is saying to these people in Ephesus. There is a world on the other side of this curtain that is amazing. And it's made available to each and every one of you if you will just receive it. But the problem is, so many of us settle for second best when we can have an awesome seat. Maybe part of it is because we're just not aware of the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you, once you are aware of what the Holy Spirit can do for you, you won't want to sit anywhere else. So maybe part of it is because we're just unaware of what the Holy Spirit can do. I think for some of us, though, is that we're just resisting the rhythm of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is preaching to a group of people called the Sanhedrin. And these guys knew the law backwards and forwards. They knew about the prophecies. But that's about where it stops. 
See, because Peter, uh, Stephen, excuse me, standing in front of this crowd of people, and he makes a pretty difficult statement, knowing that his life is literally on the line, and he says this, You stiff-necked people, you're just like your fathers. You keep resisting the Holy Spirit. I'm like, man, <laughs> what guts on that guy to say that to them. But, but then I start to think about it, I'm like, man, that, there's a little bit of Sanhedrin in maybe each and every one of us. That if we're not careful, we can know the law and maybe we can know the prophets, but we can forget about the power that is made available to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, you might be thinking, well, how do I know if I'm actually resisting the Spirit? Well, here's a way that I try to decipher that. When I make choices, oftentimes, I focus on self and what self wants to do. And that motivates a lot of my decisions. And maybe you are there or you find yourself in that battle on a daily basis. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that if you think about the messages that we're getting from the outside in, what does the world say? You know, one of the most popular phrases right now, some of y'all have heard this, some of you have not, treat yourself. Anybody heard of that? Okay, maybe you shouldn't use that one. All right. But if you think about it, Jesus actually says the opposite, does he not? He says to deny yourself, <laughs> to deny yourself on a daily basis. But yet we hear so many messages about treat you, focus on you. And what happens is it makes its way into our heart and makes its way into the church. And it's hard to make disciples when you're focused so much on self. And so what begins to happen is we come in contact with this person that really needs to hear the gospel, but we can think of a million reasons why not to talk to them. You are resisting the power of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe there's a, a point in the time where this person they, they maybe don't deserve your forgiveness, but God has called them to have the right to participate in that forgiveness. And you want to withhold it from them, but there's something within you that says, no, listen, they just don't deserve it. They, they, they've done this before. You, you shouldn't give it to them. But then there's this other thing within you that says, no, give it to them. Give them that forgiveness. And you're like, no, I, I just don't think that they can handle it because I've seen what they've done before. You are resisting the power of the Holy Spirit. When self trumps God, we are resisting the Spirit of God. Now you may be thinking, well, why in the world would I want maybe the Spirit? What is it that the Spirit can really do for me? Well, I want to end with three things that the Spirit can do for you. And in keeping in with this idea of keeping us in rhythm with the heart of God, number one, that the Holy Spirit can provide you a very comforting rhythm. When I'm stressed and maybe I've had a very long day, there is a CD that I love to put in my CD player in my car. And it's James Taylor's Acoustic Greatest Hits. I mean, I could be having the most difficult day, but I put that thing in there and I'm just at ease. And, and I think about that with John 14, 16, as Jesus describes the Spirit as the comforter. That's amazing that we will go out to so many other things to give us the comfort, to tell us it's okay when we actually have something that's already there living inside of us, telling us that you can make it, that you can do it. And, and whether you realize it or not, you have actually experienced this. 
It's because maybe you've gone through a very low moment in your life. Maybe a time of sin. And you hit your knees and you just start praying. And, and as you're trying to connect with God, there's getting to a point where just no words are really coming out. You don't know where they came from. You didn't plan it. You didn't write it that way. But you begin to talk with God through that prayer. See, Romans 8.26 says that when you're going through those moments of weakness, the Holy Spirit actually steps in and helps you pray. When you need comfort and you need guidance, the Holy Spirit will step in and give you that comfort. Another thing that we know about the Holy Spirit, it can give us a very guiding rhythm. The Holy Spirit can counsel you. In John 16, verse 13, one of the things that the Holy Spirit is described as as being is a spirit of truth. When I was here in Montgomery, I got in the mail a little flyer uh, from Metro Fitness. And on that flyer, when they first opened, it said, hey, um, you can come to Metro Fitness and have two free weeks of, of gym membership with a trainer. Completely free. And all you have to do is give them your credit card information. And so I, I did that. And so I went to Metro Fitness, and I met my trainer. I still don't remember the guy's name. But I remember when I went there, he put me on a scale. He measured my height. He took my body mass index. And he designed every single thing that I needed to do for that workout. And every single day. This was the very first time in my entire life that I worked out and actually felt good. And I wasn't sore for every single day after it. See, because this guy actually knew what he was doing. I felt great. I had energy. But then the two weeks ended. And so they asked me, do you want to continue with so-and-so? It's going to be so-and-so and so-and-so a month. And I said, absolutely not. And, and so I went to the gym. And I was like, listen, I've got this. I know what I'm going to do. And, and so I went to the gym, and, and I, I did. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this on Monday and maybe Wednesday and Friday. I got sore. I was aching. I was hurting. I was not my normal self. I needed someone to help guide me and to counsel me into what I was doing. If I did not, I was going to hurt. That, that's exactly what we see here in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. See, what was prophesied that at times you and I are going to choose the right or we're going to choose the left. But the Spirit was prophesied and given to us, said it's coming to help guide you and to counsel you in the way that you need to go. Have you ever felt those moments at times where you're wanting to choose maybe you over what you need to do or what is right over what is wrong? That is not Jiminy Cricket. That is not your own willpower. That is the Holy Spirit trying to guide you into the paths of truth. Don't resist. Not only does the Holy Spirit provide you a guiding rhythm, but the Holy Spirit also can convict you. My junior year at Prattville Christian, we went on a four-game losing streak with our basketball team. And our coach, Coach Rob, came in. He's like, guys, if, if I could diagnose the problem, here's what I perceive the problem to be. There is literally no energy in this locker room. I mean, you're dead. And so he said, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to leave it up to the captains to get you guys pumped up and ready to play. And so me and JB got together, we're like, well, what are we going to do, you know, to get them pumped up? And we're like, brilliant, we got an idea. So we went to Walmart and we bought a CD called Jock Jams. Any of y'all heard of that? Okay. 
Well, jog jams is pretty much a CD of a bunch of pump-up music and things that they play before basketball games or football games or whatever. And so we got that, and we played it in the locker room, and, man, we got fired up. We were pumped up. We played it before every game. We're, like, pushing and shoving each other. And then, and then we go out, and we go on an eight-game winning streak. I still attribute it to jock jams. <laughs> but my point in saying that is, is that we needed something to step in to convict us. Because sometimes, I don't know if you notice this, even on our best days, we're still at our worst. We need something to step in and to give us the strength we need. Maybe you've been walking down the street before and you've had a tough day. God brings someone into your life and encourages you. There is an encouragement, there is a conviction that comes into your life every single day if you'll just listen to it. It's because the passage in John 16, 8 says that the Holy Spirit will actually convict you regarding your sin. You know this, that battle you have between right and wrong? I think back to even people in the world that don't even have the Spirit of God in their lives. Do you, do you notice how they know what's right and wrong still? That there is a truth? And if they understand that to the smallest nth degree, then how much more do you have as one that has been chosen by God to actually have His Spirit inside of you? See, the Spirit is called a gift, and when the Father gives a gift, He does not give them reluctantly. He gives beautiful gifts that always bring power. The Holy Spirit provides us a very convicting rhythm and will convict you concerning your sin. A lot of you know this. I was um, baptized right there, and it was on a Wednesday night. I walked down this aisle, and my father met me. And he took my confession, and we walked around back. And he, he, of course, baptized me and said, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of all of your sins. And it was at that moment, of course, went to the water, came out, and received the gift of the power and the Holy, of the Holy Spirit. All of my sins washed away. And I remember I got out of that water, walked up the steps, and then walked down. Dad put a towel around me. And I will never forget the first things he said to me. He said, son, I'm proud of you. But then he said this. You are not going to be perfect. Well, that's an odd thing to say. <laughs> I mean, really? Of all the things you could have picked, you picked that? He's like, son, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to need to learn to depend on God. You're going to need someone and something else other than you to get you, you know, where you need to go. You know, and when he said that, I did what any kid does. They kind of verbally hear what their parents say, but they don't internally hear what their parents say. And I, I was like, okay, I got you. I understand what you're saying, but Dad, I got this. And listen, truthfully, I did got this for about two weeks. For about two weeks, I was doing pretty good operating under my own willpower. But then I found myself in a place that a lot of you probably have found yourself in before. Sin, fix yourself, get back up. Sin, fix yourself, get back up. Sin, fix yourself, get back up. And I, got, you know, and I got to a point, I was like, man, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this pattern. You know, I, I really, I can do this once and for all, I am going to fix me. And so I want you to imagine for just a second that this balloon is me. 
All right. So I was like, all right, listen, I can do this. I can keep myself up. All right, I can fix me. So here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to start an accountability group. I'm going to read my Bible through in a year. I'm going to um, talk nice. I'm not going to watch these things. I'm not going to listen to these things. I'm going to go and do those things. I'm going to fast. I'm going to buy a journaling Bible and take a bunch of pictures of it on Instagram. I'm going to read my Bible through in a year. Okay, maybe six months. Okay, now it's three months, but I'm going to at least try. And then I'm going to pray more. I'm going to do more. I'm going to say more. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to show up at worship more. And I got to a point where I was exhausted from trying to keep me up and for me to fix me. And I was like, man, there has got to be a better way than that. So let me explain it like this. All right, let's try this again. Sorry, Leon. <laughs> I'm sure there's a ladder that, that tall, but um, I want to ask you a question. What was that balloon down there on the ground filled with? It was filled with me. No matter how hard I tried, no matter how much energy I expended, I couldn't fix me. A world of possibilities will open up to us in our walk with Christ when we finally wake up to the reality that we can't fix us. See, we can't surrender if we don't, we can't fix what we haven't surrendered over to God. And what can happen is this, we can be so filled with ourselves that we have so much of ourselves with no room left for something much more powerful than ourselves. That when I was trying to fill me and fix me, I saw where it got me. And, and if you would have asked me about 15, 20 years ago, in the beginning of my walk with Christ, who was the most influential person in my life? I might have told you maybe my parents. I might have told you uh, Ron Frederick. I might have told you maybe Floyd Parker or Dr. Donnie Hilliard. But now if you ask me that same question, I'll give you a totally different answer. And I will tell you the person that has had the greatest impact on me in my life is the Holy Spirit. Because even on their best day, my parents can't fix me. Even on their best day, my professors can't fix me. But I know one that can counsel, that can comfort and convict like no other. How we need to wake up to the reality that the Holy Spirit is the key to literally everything. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for being a God that is not disconnected from us. But help us to be reminded the gift that you have given us of your Spirit to guide us into all truth, to comfort us in those difficult moments. And Lord, to convict us concerning our sin. Lord, of all people that have put you on in baptism, we of all people are out of excuses. We have everything within us to be loving, 
to be joyful, to be patient, to be kind, to be gentle, to be faithful, and to practice self-control. Lord, help us to not resist. And Lord, help us to be aware. We ask all these things in your Son's name.